We are glad that you're here. We are starting a new series today called Going Deep, and I need to give some qualifications before we get started um, because uh, you may be skeptical about even the title of our series. And even as I've been working through this, I've been skeptical of myself. Um, but I want to talk through a little bit about our vision um, and how it relates to this next stage, which is what we're doing today. So we shared with you a few months ago, our vision statement for our church was very simply this, uh, to be a changed people who seek to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so we spent a few weeks talking about uh, being with Jesus. We spent a few weeks talking about becoming like Jesus. And then today we're starting a series called Going Deep, and it is the part of our vision statement that says doing what Jesus did. Now, why would we be skeptical about that? Uh, because the idea that we are supposed to go out and do what Jesus did feels like, yeah, that's a given. But at the same time, he was a son of God. So and what, what are we supposed to do and what are we really realistically able to do? Um, and so we're going to spend some time kind of talking through that and recognizing there's tension here, there's struggle here. Uh, there's not just an easy answer, and it's not just simply go to church and give a few dollars and read your Bible and pray and do something nice for your neighbor. It's like the idea of going deep is the idea that we are jumping in with our whole selves. And another part of the skeptical place for those of you who have kind of grown up in church for me is... Usually when a church starts talking about going deep or going all in or something like that, we generally are talking about going all in with the church, right? Or going deep with the church. You need to be here every week. You need to be serving. You need to be giving. You need to be doing all these things for the church. And I want you to know that um, I'm a firm believer that there's no need to tell people they have to come to church uh, because if you are going deep in your relationship with Christ, Things work themselves out. And so our focus is not on what are we doing to build our church. Our focus on going deep is what does it look like to fully embrace the life that Jesus is calling us to. The church should be a part of that, but the church is not all of that. All right? So we're going to be kind of going through some of those things. And we're also going to be sharing some of our core values again. These are, have been revamped. We had a lot of core values when we started Journey, things like you know, innovative environments and things like that, which we just thought was neat and cool and a different way of doing church. And we've gotten rid of a lot of those things, and we settled on really five core values. Um, one is the idea of gospel centrality, that everything must be through the lens of the gospel. Absolutely everything that we do, we live, the way we see, the way we treat people has to be the lens uh, through the lens of the gospel. We talked about authentic community and even this morning, Joe and I were having a conversation about just the reality that you need to be who you are. Uh, we live in a world that wants you to pretend to be something else, but it is exhausting to pretend to be somebody else. And then when you begin to do that in order to fit in, then you've got to remember which group of people you're with and who did I tell them I was the last time I was with them so I can still be that person. Um, authentic community is incre incredibly important. It's a, it's a group, a community, it's just a community of authentic people who are who they say they are. There's a vulnerability, an honesty, there's a humility there, there's a willingness to engage with each other and to kind of let our secrets out. Not that we're going to get around and have these big parties where we confess all our deep sins, but there's an intimacy that comes through an authenticity that you can't have any way else. Uh, we talked about the Word of God a few um, weeks ago 
just how important it is and but also what is it what is the word of god and how do we engage with it um transformational discipleship the idea that as disciples it should change us it's not just something we commit to it's not just something we do it's not another list of stuff but it's something that should actually transform us and change us and then finally um, the fifth one that at this season these these core values may change as we go in different seasons um, of of our church and of culture and of life but it's to seek the good of the city um, not just the good of our church, not just the good of other people like us, that look like us, talk like us, but to seek the good of all people, both um, in our church, but then also in this community and in our city and so on and so on. The idea that we're seeking the good of the city. We'll talk a little bit more about some of those again as we go through this. Um, but as we, I was just trying to figure out how to start today, how to start the series off. And I thought I would do something that you would love which was give you a history lesson. Um, so I knew you would be excited about that. And you're like, I'm so glad I am not sick today. But um, this is going to be a really quick history. And I want to give you a history. If we're going to talk about doing what Jesus did, here's what I'd like to do by the end of today. Um, I would like for us to have a big picture of what was the big thing that Jesus was trying to do. Not what were all the little things that he did. We're going to all dress like him and have beards like him and all that. But what was the big picture thing that Jesus was doing? And then what does it look like for us to go all in or to go deep in our faith with him? And it, it's not going to look identical for anyone. But what does it look like for us? And I, I just want to share a story about that from my own life and then some think ways I think that might look in your life. Um, do you realize the oldest recorded history that we have in scripture and i don't mean the earliest written scripture but i mean the part of scripture that tells us the oldest parts of history as we know history to be actually comes in the last book in your bible it comes out of revelation it was written by the last living apostle um, sometime shortly before he would die of natural causes not He's the only disciple who would die of natural causes, but not for lack of trying. Um, the story of John is a pretty incredible story. If you read through his later life and you find out that he was boiled in oil and he, I mean, he was, they had attempted to assassinate him multiple times and he just, he, did, he wouldn't die. Um, he gave us the book of Revelation, which was a vision that he had from the Lord. And this is what he told about our earliest history um, of Christianity. It says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." And this is the oldest recorded story we have of things that happened 
in which there is this massive battle in heaven. Now, why do I start a series on going deep with a passage about a war in heaven? And it is simply this, that our struggle to do what Jesus did is going to exist on two different planes throughout our lives. There's going to be a spiritual battle that is being fought, not always by us. And there's also going to be a very practical way of living and influencing and engaging the world. So there's the spiritual and the practical. As we read through this, what we remember is that the world is affected by the spiritual forces in ways we don't fully understand. Now, if you go through and you read through all of Scripture, you're going to find lots of these little places in which these spiritual things are happening that we don't fully understand, and it begins literally in the first couple of chapters of your Bible, which are in Genesis 1, 2, and actually 3, in which in this garden there's this tree, and then there's this serpent that comes, and through that exchange, eventually we have all chaos that breaks loose that the rest of the Bible seems to be trying to put back together we go on through the story and we come to deuteronomy 6 and what we find in deuteronomy 6 is this incredible story of um, these spiritual beings that are coming down and find um, these beautiful women attractive and there's just so you know lots of different interpretations of what that means whether it be actual angels or whether they be um, these magnificent rulers from these different lands that come in and kind of take the women from their land, um, regardless, it's presented to us in a way that there is this spiritual element of things that are happening in the earth that have drastic consequences in our lives. We go on to the story of the Tower of Babel, and we have this incredible story of this tower that's being built from this group of people who are like, we are great people, and we are doing good things, and we shouldn't just worship God. Like We should build a tower so that we can be in the top of the tower, and God has to come to us. So we don't have to go to him. And if you know the story, then eventually God does come and he destroys the tower. And at that point, he separates all people. And he says, if you're going to work together in this way, then I'm going to separate you that you can't work together and have a story of language being created. In Deuteronomy 32, there's a description of literally what happens here in that moment at the Tower of Babel. And it says, when the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, talking about that story, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. We have this really incredible detail in verse 8 that says he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. In other words, the Tower of Babel is, is taken down and the nations of the world are dispersed according to some kind of heavenly host that then somehow rules over these nations except for one. There's one nation that doesn't have this kind of weird heavenly host idea that's overseeing and it is the nation of Jacob in which God says, I'm taking that nation for myself. And he would go on to say it's through that nation, through all of this struggle, all of these battles, all of these problems in the earth, is through that nation, I'm going to bless all nations. In the story of Job, we have another picture of this interesting heavenly council that says that now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along 
them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. These are kind of crazy passages that we often look over because they're just hard to understand. What do they mean? What am I supposed to do with that? Are they real? Are they just some kind of really great story that they were trying to tell? And the answer is we don't really fully understand the implications of all of these passages, and that's not my point for today. But simply to say this, we live in a spiritual world. Your life, no matter how you see it, no matter when you hit um, turn off for your alarm in the morning, when you've got to get up and go to work, or where you go to work, or where you live in your house, or what endless number of tasks you're going to have to accomplish in a day, it is so easy to think of the world as this physical thing that happens from morning to night, morning to night, morning to night. But there's this spiritual thing happening all around us. And when we start talking about our faith I've found that it is easy to focus on the very practical aspects of faith, but I've also found that the really good stuff, the stuff that makes life worth living, and the stuff that makes me want to follow Jesus is usually the spiritual stuff. So again, it's hard to talk about doing what would Jesus do when Jesus is clearly more capable of doing stuff than we are. John three sixteen and 17, this is what Jesus said about why he came. So we try to narrow that picture in on, well, what was his big purpose? Keeping this big spiritual war out there that we are in some ways victims of and in some ways we participate in. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And a common question that we ask is simply, what does it mean to be saved? I mean, what are we being saved from? And I think there's in no small part we're being saved from the influence of the spiritual battle happening around us. And Jesus is going to say, I'm here to fight a spiritual battle. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And yet it often feels in life like we're like fighting against flesh and blood, doesn't it? And in some places in the world, literally, we flesh and blood are fighting against each other. And he's saying there's a bigger picture to life. There's a bigger picture To the world, there's a bigger picture to faith. There's a bigger picture to Jesus. The idea that we're just saved to one day die and go to heaven and then that's where the good stuff happens. But there's something going on all around us and it affects your life. It affects it right in this moment. It affects us when we go to work. It affects us when we come home. It affects and creates conflict in our relationships. It's the things that drive us to do things that are unhealthy. It affects us. And in some ways... There's really not much we can do about it because it's in a realm that we don't freely interact with on a normal basis unless we have a relationship with Christ. Jesus came to do battle with spiritual forces and redeem the world. I don't want to in any way move in the direction of we're going to go do battle. I think the battle scenarios while at times biblical, are way overused. We live in a Call of Duty world. 
that sometimes we have a call of duty faith. That there is something else going on for us. So what does this mean for us? So we talk about going deep, all in. We live spiritual lives and are in part victims of a spiritual war. There are influences happening around us that we can't fully understand, we don't fully see, and we don't even always know why we do the things that we do. Paul describes it like this. He says, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. It doesn't mean we have no responsibility in this area of discipline and how we live our lives and what we're striving for, but absolutely there are things happening in your life that go beyond your ability to see and interact and plan out how you think your life should go or how the world should go. There are problems that happen in the world that feels like we could solve, but there are also influences in the world that keep things the way they are that we don't fully understand either. It's a spiritual world or spiritual, spiritual lives that we live. We will also live an abundant life with Jesus based on what Jesus says. Man, there's some hot weeping and gnashing of teeth going on. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> Some spiritual battle going on in there. Might be a physical battle, I don't know. <laughs> we will live an abundant life with Jesus. And that's what he promises us, and yet we have disciples who are like killed off. <laughs> that doesn't feel very abundant. We have people who struggle, and he says you should struggle against things. And yet abundance in our mind is lack of struggle, lack of problems, lack of pushback, lack of things not going the way we hope that they'll go. But he says, you're going to live an abundant life if you're with me, if you follow me, if you're living the life, if you're being with me through our vision statement, if you're being with me and if you're becoming like me and if you're doing what I did, that is in many ways an abundant life. So what, what does that look like? Scripture said we will resist the influences of this world. Which if we go back and we believe those early stories in Genesis and the explanation in Deuteronomy, some of the influences of this world are spiritual. So we have to recognize that. We have to see them for what they are. It reminds me of our conversation through the fall story where we discovered one of the central parts of the fall story was not you messed up and now you're punished. We read that through our modern mindset um, and the way that we understand justice. But instead, God walked through the, des the desert, walked through the garden, saying, where are you? And do you remember the second question he asked? Who are you listening to? Which is a relevant, eternal question. Who are we listening to? And it's easy for me to think, well, who in my life am I listening to? I mean, who are the people that I've given that place in which I trust their judgment? Or if they say, Mark, you really need to do this. And I'm like, okay, because I just trust you. And I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. Our minds immediately go to those places. But are there also forces in this world telling people to do things that they wouldn't normally do had they not listened to those things? And yet they don't even know they're there, which makes them incredibly disorienting and dangerous. Sometimes Deidre and I will read news stories or watch news stories about the horrible things that can happen in this world, and we just think, how can a person get to a place where they would do that thing? 
While we don't ever know the full story of any person who does horrendous things in the world, still it makes you wonder who were they listening to? When we look at these passages, when we look at what Jesus is saying about what it means to know him and to be all in and to follow him and to go deep, we will want to love God. We'll see him as a good thing, as as God wanting to do what is good in our lives and good around us. And again, it's hard to sometimes believe that when you see some of the just carnage in the world, the way people treat each other, the way we sometimes treat each other. It's just hard at times to believe that this is something I even really want to fully give myself to. I want to dip my toe in and I want to make sure that if God can help me that he will. And if there is a heaven, I want to make sure that I can make it to heaven. But I'm not really positive I want all in this thing because when I look at the world around me, I'm like, I'm not sure that I even trust God. But there's a place where we experience him and and just in truth who he is. And we say, you know, I don't understand it all, but I believe he's good. And I believe he wants something good for me. And I believe that there is an answer. And then I look around the world, I do not believe he is orchestrating all of the bad in the world. I believe that he wants to do something good in the world and in me. And he says, we will also, in addition, want to love God. We will grow in our love for other people when we go deep. you've ever found yourself surprised that you're not more angry at someone maybe maybe the holy spirit's doing something in you if you've ever found yourself forgiving someone and they've done something you previously felt was unforgivable perhaps the love for other people is growing in you because jesus would say that love what the, what that looks like is like not just loving your neighbor not just loving your friends not just loving your family but loving your enemy And when we get to the place where we love our enemies, something's happened in our hearts because that's not natural. It's just not natural. And doing what Jesus did should be both spiritual and practical. The reality in my life was that I did not fully come to faith. I had been baptized and I went to church and I would call myself a Christian, but I knew inside I was not. My mother still believes I was saved when I first was baptized. No matter how many times I tell her, yeah, I just did that for the juice and the crackers in church. I didn't really do that because I really wanted Jesus. My friends were doing it. You also got to swim in the church whenever you got saved. So I thought that was pretty cool. I was about eight years old. It wasn't for another seven years that I really had that place where I was like, this just doesn't feel real and this doesn't feel right. And I don't think I'm alone at times in our faith that it just doesn't feel real. You ever feel that way? I'm not sure this is real. Maybe a good idea, maybe a good story. Is this really real? There's a thing about jumping into the unknown that just elicits fear in us. I remember when I was a kid, maybe 12, 13 years old, I was attending a camp and they had a new rappelling tower. Has anyone here been rappelling before? Yeah, a few of you. Do you remember the first time you went rappelling? The first time you stepped off of a rock or a tower and you sat back into your harness and you're like, this isn't going to hold. I'm not going to make it. I remember being in line at this camp and they had this huge tower. I've got a picture of a tower. It's not the tower 
that we were in, but it was a tower like that, and you had this big ladder in the back that you would climb up to get to the top, and it was all made of wood. It was this big, you know, Jenga. It felt like a Jenga, you know, tower that you would build because it would move with you, which I'm not exactly sure it's supposed to move, but it would move with you. And we would line up to watch the person who's going to go, and then it was our turn, we would go up the ladder in the back. And I remember I was watching my friend Ryan, he climbed the tower, and I'm not a big fan of heights. Like I, I don't mind heights, it's the rapid descent I don't particularly care for. And I watched him climb up that thing, and you've never been rappelling before, so they suit you up, you have your harness on, they hook the ropes up, there's someone down to belay you um, to be able to make sure that you don't just rapidly descend and be splat down on the ground, and the tower's not tall enough probably to kill you, but it's definitely tall enough to maim you for life, or at least cause a whole lot of pain. And you go to the edge, and you turn around... And you look at the person who's front of you. You look at the platform. You don't look behind you. And they'll tell you, don't look down. You might not go. And then you just have to, they say, sit down. And I remember thinking, you're crazy. I had just watched my friend Ryan climb the ladder. And he got over to the top. And, I mean, he was shaking like a leaf. They got him right to the edge. He was supposed to, to sit down and lean back. And he starts shaking. The whole tower starts shaking. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. And eventually he made it down. I felt like we were there for about an hour before he finally went down. But he went down. It was my turn to go up. So I went up, got my harness on, clipped me in. They tell me they can stop me from falling. I don't believe them. And I walk to the edge and I turn around and I put just on the balls of my feet on the edge of this tower and they say, sit down. And I just looked at him. Eventually, I just sat down and I leaned back. And I remember you were supposed to go down in small jumps. So you should make that in like, you know, I don't know. Six, eight, ten jumps to get to the bottom. I made it down in two. I mean, I was ready to get that. One big jump, one big jump. I Get me out of this thing. I'll never do this again. But that really wasn't my response. Because it took everything in me to fight every instinct I had to stay right where, where I knew, feet on solid ground. But by the time I hit the ground at the bottom, I was like, i got to do that again. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Maybe it's not repelling. Like, what are some things you've had? Think about that. What are, what are some moments in your life that you're like, I, can't, I don't know about this. I, I don't know about this. And then, and then you went. For Deidre, it was when I first asked her out. She's like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. But she finally leaned back in her harness and jumped. And, and I won't say everything turned out okay, but it turned out okay for me. I won't say it turned out okay for her. But Was it a job, a career? The relationship in which the fear wants to take over. The unknown is just so vast, and I'm just not sure about this, and I'm not sure I want to jump in. And, and at the end, gosh, your adrenaline is just racing, and it all worked out. 
I've told stories of myself when I was a kid before, and so if you've heard any of those stories, you know I wasn't, I had lots of injuries growing up. I did lots of silly, stupid things. I took lots of risks, but they kind of escalated after that moment. Like if you can survive a, a, a rappelling tower, which is actually really safe, um, then you can survive anything, which that's what I thought. There are just some times you have to commit to fully experience something. There are times that you have to look at the cost, you have to look at what might go wrong, or, or, or the questions you have, or I don't fully understand this thing, and you just have to eventually commit. I'm in. I'm going for it. If I die, I die. I'm going to lean over and I'm going for it. And it is that way in our faith. There's a safe way to stay on the tower. You're hooked up. you got the ropes on you. you got the harness on you. But if you don't lean back and you don't step off, you're not really repelling. For the first seven years of my Christian life, I was on the tower. because I believed the right things. I did the right things. Sure, I was young. I couldn't fully understand. But there are some people that live their entire lives on the top of the tower and they never step off. And what I want to encourage you through this series is that the real joy in the Christian life is stepping off. The point of no return. The place of saying, I don't fully understand this, but I'm fully going in. I remember when I became a Christian, I, I didn't fully understand it all. I knew the verses, but it still didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think I understood the, the principles of spirituality, and I knew some practical things I was supposed to do, but it felt like this was way bigger than that. It was a commitment to say, I'm going to follow and I'm going to trust. I believe God is real. I believe what Jesus did on the cross is real. I believe that all the things he promises are really true. I believe all that stuff, but I'm just not sure how that all works out like in my life. Because still, ultimately, what I wanted were better things for my life than what I felt like I was experiencing. And so there was a moment that I was ready to just take the leap. And I didn't fully understand, and you don't have to fully understand. There was a part of me that didn't know what God would want from me. There was a part of me that didn't know that I wanted what God wanted. There was a part of me that didn't know that I was actually going to make it. But I trusted that God was good and that God was real and that God wanted to do something amazing. And whatever he did and wherever he took me, it would be an adventure. I figured there would be some things he would ask me to do at some point in my life that I wouldn't want to do, but I didn't worry about that stuff. I didn't think about that stuff. I just said, well, I'll deal with that when I get there because right now this is the most real thing that has ever happened to me in my life. It was that moment of jumping off that I just said, I'm, I'm all in. But it was getting to the bottom and the adrenaline rush of saying, this is pretty amazing, which is why I'm still in it. We all have tower stories. I don't know what yours is. And there have been times in your life that you're like, I don't know about this. Like if I make this jump, like it changes everything. But you made the jump. 
And perhaps you're a little gun-shy because you made the jump and wish you hadn't. There's a part of our faith that we make the jump, and we just don't know how it's going to go. We can't stay on the platform. Jesus said in John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's abundant life is what we're going for. And it's really interesting how many hard stories there are in Scripture, and yet that is still abundant life. It's a totally different picture than the way we picture good decisions in our world today because we, we want to we return on investment that is at least equal to the investment in which we made. And when we look at hard stories and we think, well, Jesus may call us to something. I remember the day after I became a Christian, um, I shared this before, I was given a tract on, now that you're a new believer, and it was, it was awful. It was an awful tract. But it had this stair step on the back. And the bottom was like, you know, pray to receive Christ. Check. And the top step was share your faith with somebody else. And I was like, well, I am glad that was the top step. I'm going to take my time getting there. I have no, in, you know, no intent to talk about this with anybody. It was just something that was very personal for me. But there is a part that that stair step is absolutely true. It's why we call this place Journey, because everyone's on a journey. Hopefully we're going in the same direction, but we're all in different points on that journey. Going all in and going deep is not simply a commitment to come to church. It's not simply a commitment to do better. It's not simply a commitment, I'm just not going to sin. It's like it's a commitment to go where Jesus wants me to go and to be the person Jesus wants me to be and do the things in the world that Jesus wants me to do. And the interesting thing is we don't have to go and pray and ask somebody for a prophecy or, or figure out some real, you know, Go to somebody who can say, I have a word from the Lord, and this is what God wants you to do. I'm not saying those things don't happen. They absolutely do happen. It doesn't mean that at the end of your faith journey, you're going to become a pastor or a missionary or something like that. We can actually look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, what did Jesus do? That's what I'm supposed to do. And what is the big picture of that? I don't know how you process information. I'm big to small. Some people are small to big. I don't understand those people. I'm big to small, so I am big picture to small picture. I am big principle to small details. I need to start up here, and then I need to work down here, because if I start down here, I get lost. I'll never see the big picture if I get down to the details. And in our faith, the big picture is, well, what did Jesus really come to do? And we come back to our history story, and we find that there is a war in heaven, and there are spiritual forces happening around us, and their intent is to cause destruction and chaos, and for us to worship them, and for us to go into a place where they get all the glory, and God is saying, no, that is not what life is about. This is not why you were created. This is not what I want for you, and so I have a nation for myself, and through this nation, we are eventually going to bless all nations And you're going to have the opportunity to ask the question, who have I been listening to? And you have the opportunity to listen to somebody better. We're all listening to somebody. There's a part of our faith that is the adventure of a lifetime. And there's a part that we're committing to live the adventure that Jesus lived. And when we go back to the big picture, that is to redeem the world. So this is where things get a, get a little messy. How do we possibly 
be arrogant enough to say, you just need to do what Jesus did, and then we fully even understand what Jesus did, because like he did some things I've never done. I've never healed a blind person. I absolutely believe God still miraculously heals people today. I myself have never laid hands. Now, I've wanted to tell, spit in the dirt and sock a big snowball of mud in somebody's face before, but I don't think that was Jesus's, the way Jesus did it. I mean, Jesus was the Son of God. He was fully divine and fully human. I'm fully human. But if I really believe what the Scriptures say, that's not exactly true. If you remember when we talked in our, a couple of weeks ago, was it a couple of weeks ago, I guess? We're kind of a hybrid human now. Pentecost tells us that these, these tongues of fire came and lit on us and settled upon us, and now God lives within us. God at first was just out in this vast whatever, and then God was in the tabernacle, and then God was in the temple, and then God was in us. So I'm not divine in the way Jesus was divine, although some theologians argue that when the Bible talks about us being the first and to inherit what all would be offered to become like Jesus, but I, I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. But yet you're still not who you were before once you're all in. Here are my questions for you, and I don't know what this looks like for every person. Every person's coming to faith is a little different than everyone else's. The idea that you say a three-part prayer and that's all you need to do is just crazy because a person has to battle themselves to come to a place of faith. They have to battle their own wants and needs to come to a place of putting that faith in someone else. They have to battle their own need for individualism and for just a personal security in order to say, I'm going to give that away. We sang this morning that we were glad to surrender. You don't come to a place of being glad to surrender lightly. These are my, this is my question for you today. Whatever your jumping off thing is, it may not be repelling. It may be jump off a high dive. I did one time back down the ladder of a high dive. It is the great shame of the community pool, by the way. I would eventually climb back up that ladder and jump off for the greatest backbuster you would ever have experienced. It was awful. But it did jump. Whatever that jumping off story is for you, do you remember that moment where you just said, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. What is keeping you from sitting back in the harness, trusting the rope, and stepping off into something new? Is it the familiar? Is it fear? Is there some aspect of our faith that you disagree with and you're like, oh, if I don't, I don't understand this, I don't like this, I don't believe this, so I'm out. Can I just tell you, when I, be, when I fully became a believer... There are a lot of things I didn't even know. As I've been a Christian, there are a lot of things I've been like, God, I don't know about, I don't like this. There have been so many times where I've been told what something means in Scripture only to find out through studying and praying and struggling and asking different, different questions that I didn't even fully understand what 
God was trying to do with that scripture. Someone just told me that's what you're supposed to do. Well, that's what it's supposed to mean. What's keeping you from sitting back and going all in? I don't mean, like, in just a minute, I'm going to have some cards up here for you to commit that you'll be here 53 out of 52 Sundays a year. I don't mean that we're going to have pledge cards for you to talk about how much you're going to give to the church or here are the 16 volunteer positions we need filled by the end of today. Like, I'll just be honest, there's a part of church that is that. And I, it is, it, I hate it. I am so bad at it. I hate it. Because I didn't get into this for that. I got into this because I had a moment with Jesus and I leaned back in the harness and I stepped off of the platform and I survived and it was awesome. My life walking with Jesus has been awesome and terrible. And in the terrible, it was still awesome. Because this is what Jesus does. He makes all things new. He comes to give life. He came not to condemn, but to save us from this thing that we don't even fully comprehend. What is keeping you from sitting back in the harness, trusting the rope, and stepping off into something new? One of the things I would like to see as a church is a movement of the gospel that people come to find how awesome faith in Christ is. That is different from a move of the gospel that fills seats. Let me just tell you. I always feel better when the seats are full. Just like you always feel better when you know, there's more people seeing what you're doing and part of what you're doing. But I can just tell you that this, this, this weird unknown spiritual thing that we can't fully comprehend doesn't care about how many people are in the seats because one of the mo- like, f- some of the most foundational conversations and moments that happen in Scripture happen between two people. Because there's something very real that happens when we know God and we begin to see the world differently and we begin to interact with the world differently. What's holding you back? What's keeping you on the platform? Do you know somebody like my friend Ryan that when he got to the top, his legs shook so bad that he didn't think he could make it down and you're like, gosh, that looked awful. I don't think I want that. What's holding you back? I'm going to do something different this morning. We're a smaller crowd, and I don't ever do this. I'm going to do a good old-fashioned altar call. But not so that you'll... I mean, if you, if, if you don't have faith in Christ and you want to take that step, I'm not going to turn you away. The point, though, is not to have this moment of we're all going to get saved again. But if you want to go deep, you know what was awesome when you hit the ground at that tower? It was like everybody clapped for you. Everybody was excited for you. Everybody was happy you lived. But everybody was just excited for you. There have been moments in my life where I was, I was deep, deep in my faith. And then there were moments that I wasn't. 
you really want to go deep in this, I don't have a three-step plan, but I can tell you I want to be with you in that moment. So if you want to come up and just have somebody to hug you and high-five you and pray for you, then we're going to do that in this last song. If you're like, that's not me, there's no way I'm walking up there, that's totally cool. I didn't. I didn't do an altar call. It was me and Jesus on these steps. Concrete steps outside of a gym. That was, that was where it happened for me. I didn't want anybody else there. But if you would like to have somebody there, I want to be there. We're going to try to flesh this out over the next few weeks. Um, we're going to do our best. Uh, there will be a caveat that God will at times encourage or urge you to do things that are just for you. Absolutely just for you. But I do want big picture for us to understand what God's been doing from the beginning is trying to redeem the world. And if we're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to partner with him. We're not going to do it ourselves, but we're going to partner with him to work to redeem the world. That is the biggest picture I can, I can come to. And when we begin to partner with him in that, we begin to see amazing thing happen, things happen in our lives and others. Father, I 